Today we're continuing our series on rest. We started out by looking at Mary and Martha, that Martha was busy and distracted, and Mary, her sister, was just sitting and listening to Jesus. That, those were the postures that these two women had as they enjoyed the company of Jesus in their house. And Jesus has to correct Martha because Martha was anxious and troubled. And he calls her to adopt her sister's posture toward him, which is just sitting and listening, just enjoying his company. And then the second week, we looked at Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says uh, to all those who are weary and heavy laden to come take his yoke upon themselves and to have a burden that's easy and light. So here you have it again, kind of an either or. You can be weary, heavy laden by the burdens that you and the world put upon yourself, or you can have the burden that's easy and light that Jesus puts on you. So how do you have Jesus' burden? How do you be Mary instead of being weary and heavy laden and like Martha? Well, third week we looked at Romans chapter 12, and in Romans chapter 12, those first two verses, the way uh, you uh, leave the negative and embrace the positive is through a lifestyle, a, a, a um, discipline, habits, practices. And so I said, we're going to look at a few different ones. And the first one uh, we've looked at the last two weeks and third week today is the discipline of the Sabbath. And so today we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter five. Uh, so let's read it together. Observe the Sabbath day. To keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You might be saying, uh, Marsh, come on, man, you preached this last week. And you're kind of right. I did preach the fourth commandment last week, too. But I preached it from Exodus chapter 20. And today we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 5. And there's a lot of similarities between these two, but in some ways they're different. Both commandments uh, list the same grouping of people who should be given the opportunity to Sabbath. You see son, daughter, male servant, female servant. You see the livestock, and then you see the sojourner. So that's a similarity, but the Deuteronomy text adds a phrase that's not contained in the Exodus 1 when it says, as well as you. The other significant change is how Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 have different reasons why we should obey the fourth commandment. In Exodus 20, you see that the reason that's given is based on what God did in creation, that we are to do as God did and rest from our labors and to make the day holy. I mean, that's what God does in Genesis 2. But here, Deuteronomy 5, it's a little bit different, isn't it? The reason that they're to practice the fourth commandment here is so that they might remember their slavery and their deliverance 
from Egypt. See, in Exodus 20, the commandments are given at Mount Sinai. They've left Egypt. Now they're in the desert. And God's going to give them the way they are to be in relationship with him and with one another in the world. And so God meets Moses on Mount Sinai, gives him the Ten Commandments. And then, you know the story, Moses comes down and gives them the Ten Commandments. And that's what we have in Exodus chapter 20. Well, for about 40 more years, between Exodus 20 and what we see here in Deuteronomy 5, they're just wandering around the desert. And during those 40 years, a lot of the people have died off. They weren't there at Sinai. And they're almost into the promised land. They are looking across the Jordan River at the promised land while they're standing in Moab. And so Moses has to give this almost brand new group of Israelites, he's got to give them the law a second time. That's where we get the word Deuteronomy. Deutero means two. Nah means law. So Deuteronomy, a second time. And this is a totally different context than what happened at Mount Sinai. When you get to Deuteronomy chapter 5, God's people up to that point, they know what life's like in slavery. They know what life's like being nomads. But now they're about ready to be God's people in a totally different way. They're about to be free people. And this is great news. But it's going to have some unique challenges that they've never faced before. See, the land they're about ready to enter is bountiful. They're going to become prosperous. They're going to think that they can get by on their own. They will be able to forget God, the one who saved them from the Pharaoh. They're going to forget the system that they were a part of in Egypt. They were going to, they're going to forget that they were inhumanely forced to meet these impossible production schedules of making bricks for the Pharaoh to build his pyramids and to build his palaces. And if they forget, then they're going to do to others what was done to them in Egypt. They're going to force others to suffer the burden of their insatiable desire for more. They're going to view the land that they're about ready to inherit, not as an inheritance, but as a possession. See, if it's a possession, they're going to use other people to make them rich. But if it's an inheritance then they will use the land as an opportunity to give those who are less powerful rest and shalom. The sons, the daughters, the servants, the sojourners, and even the animals. So this is just one of many places in all the scriptures where it acknowledges a difference in power. If you really think about it, this whole command, both in Exodus 20 and in our passage today, Deuteronomy 5, is not addressed to the entire nation of Israel. It really is addressed to those who are most powerful, those who are in charge. Now, yeah, all of Israel and we too, we're all made in the image of God. But those of us who have more power have more responsibility. Those of us with more power, we have to realize that the only way that the less powerful can practice the Sabbath 
is if we allow them to do so. See, the Sabbath is it's so much more than a day of rest and worship. It's so much more than a day of refreshment and being rejuvenated. It's a day to relieve all of society from this endless chase for more. It's a day to promote blessing rather than the laying down, laying of a burden of our greed on those who are less powerful. See, I think last week when we looked at Exodus chapter 20, and the first time we read it, we're like, hey, what are the words that stuck out to you? I think most of us that we have taken a highlighter and we would have highlighted words like rest, to make holy and blessed. And for many of us, we would not have highlighted words like son, daughter, male servant, maid servant, livestock, and sojourner. Why is that? Well, I think it's because many of us are privileged. We're the ones who benefit from the system that has been set up in our country. But if you're an oppressed person, you would have seen that list. And you would have seen the God who's behind that list, who wants to give you your freedom. See, the Sabbath command is about inclusivity. It's about sponsoring a system of rest. It's about valuing the haves, the have-nots, the significant, the insignificant, the poor, the rich, those with access and those without access. The Sabbath is a weekly reminder that injustice is overcome by joy and delight. But many of us, when we start hearing some of these words, these words like injustice, words like inequality, words like slaves, words like systemic issues, it just makes us feel guilty, makes us feel guilty for all the advantages we have. You begin to see the neglected. You begin to see the down and out. And you begin to say, this is just all way too complex. This is too big to address. So we just let out this collective sigh. We say the problem's too big. I care, I really do, but I'm just too powerless to fix the problem. Does that kind of resonate with you? It does with me. But that way of thinking needs to be questioned. First of all, who said that there was a problem to be fixed by doing something? See, action, it's never enough to eradicate a problem. We are not to eradicate the problem, but we are to be faithful. And faithfulness will involve action, but it's going to require a lot more. It's going to require your tears. See, what the powerless need is your empathy. They need you. 
They need relationship, and that's going to require being in proximity with those who are different than you, especially when it comes to power. See, there's something about the Sabbath command, the fourth commandment, where the haves and the have-nots are together on the Sabbath. There's something about the haves and the have-nots celebrating God and his creation together. And that's what brings healing to our world. What's going to bring healing to our world isn't just going to be throwing money at social problems. It's not just going to be using your voice and advocating. It's not going to be just you increasing in awareness. All those things are fine. But what this is going to take is it's going to take relationship. So that's the first faulty assumption that we actually have to do something and that our job is to eradicate the problem. The, the second one is that the faulty assumption is that we are not also a victim. I mean, remember verse 15. In verse 15 of our passage today, Moses is calling them to remember when they were slaves, when they were victims, when they didn't have any power. He's calling them to put their attention on the facts that they're fully capable of coming alongside any kind of person, regardless of their status, and they do have the ability to empathize with them because there's this common human experience of being powerless, of being a victim, and of being a slave. You know that, right? I mean, even if you're middle class or upper class, you're a victim. You're powerless. You're a slave. I mean, that's what Romans 8 tells us. Romans 8 says we're slaves to sin. What does that mean? Well, it means that sin is your master. It means you're powerless to do anything except what sin forced you to do. And the addicts among us, they, they know this all too well. They know the powerlessness that comes with their addiction. But there's another form of spiritual slavery it's called idolatry. Now, if you just think idolatries are about little statues, you're wrong. What idolatry is, is that, is, is that when we make anything more important than God. And see, we're, we're much more likely not to worship statues, but we're, we're going to worship things like our physical appearance. We're going to worship money. We're going to worship sex. We're going to worship sports. We're going to worship our grades. But if we were to really explore any of those things as what we worship, we're going to find something beneath them. We're going to find a heart motivation. You're going to find control. You're going to find comfort. You're going to find power. And you're going to find approval. That's what's beneath all of those. You might say, well, Marsh, how, how do I identify my idols? Well, let me show you a few questions uh, for your reflection. The first one. When you're angry, ask yourself this question. Is there something that's too important to me? Something I'm telling myself I have to have? Is that why I'm angry? Because I'm being blocked from having something that I think is necessary when it actually is not. See, in place of angry, you can also put fearful. If I'm fearful or badly worried, is there something that's too important to me? something I'm telling myself I have to have. Is that why I'm so scared? 
because something is being threatened, which I think is a necessity when it actually is not. Or the third one, if I'm despondent or hating myself, I ask, is there something too important to me, something I'm telling myself I have to have? Is that why I'm so down? Because I've lost or failed at something which I think is a necessity when it actually is not. So you see, this idolatry stuff's tricky. It's tough. And once our idols are identified, then we can begin to do battle on them. And when we start to do battle on them, I think what you'll notice, if you're anything like me, you'll take a step forward and you'll take two steps back. And why is that? Well, it's because we're slaves. It's part of the human experience. We're enslaved by the sinful forces of idolatry that are at play within our very souls. So have you, thought of, have you ever thought of yourself that way? Well, Jesus thinks of you that way. And that's why he came. See, one of the dominant images we have of our salvation in the New Testament is that of slavery and deliverance. See, we're shackled by the values of this evil world, and it's really hard to break those bonds. And then our wicked hearts want the things that keep us shackled, and that's why our hearts are so sick. And then you've got Satan, and he is pouring gas on that fire. There's this... uh, really famous text, Mark chapter 5, about a man who is shackled. He's violent. He's cutting himself. And he's been isolated because he's harmful to others. So uh, he, he lives in a graveyard. And all of this is the result of being demon-possessed. So you see, he's powerless. He's in bondage. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus offers him freedom and rest, and I dare say, Sabbath. So do you see how the Sabbath comes in? It it comes into you and I, who are victims of an unjust world. It comes to us who are addicts, who are idolaters. And it begs us to sing a song. It It begs us to sing the song, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. See, that's what Jesus has come to do for you. That's what Jesus has come come to do for me. And it's in the Sabbath that we enjoy that with our relationships with God. It's in the Sabbath that we begin to undo those shackles for those who are less powerful so they might join us in that rest. So let me close by asking two questions. The first one, what enslaves you at a heart level? Is it power? Is it approval? Is it control or is it comfort? Now, you might be able to say it's money or sex or uh, grades or um, any of those kinds of things, but I want you to look deeper than that. Let's just take money, for example. See, money for a lot of us, what it buys for us are things that get other people's approval. So money is not really our idol, it really is approval. Or think about money in regards to control. A lot of us, we use money to give us control into the future by having all our ducks in the row 
when it comes to our savings and our retirement. So it's really control. It's not really money. Some of it is, it's comfort. We want to use our money to give us a, a comfortable, convenient life. But it might be power. See, if you've got money, then you can exert power over others. So what enslaves you at a heart level? Second question, what injustice breaks your heart? What causes you to tear up? See, one way to determine your calling in life is to follow your tears. So maybe the Sabbath for you might have less to do with what you do on Sunday and more to do with what you do on Monday to Friday. See, many of us, because of the pandemic, our professional lives have been turned upside down. Many of us were reflecting upon what is it that we're going to do in our careers. Well, maybe this is a time for you to see what brings you tears and to spend this next season in your career to bring about Sabbath for those who are powerless. So you see, at the end of the day, the Sabbath command really does have this vertical component. It is about our relationships with God. It's about rest and being blessed, and it's about making it holy. But it also has this horizontal component where all of us are entitled because God is so gracious, regardless of your power status, to rest and enjoy him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we uh, do see that before you, we are powerless. And uh, so, Lord, I, I do pray that you would begin to loosen the shackles uh, that our hearts and the unjust world have put on us. Lord, we want to know the freedom that we have in you. In Christ's name, amen.